I really do just have some simple comments to make today and uh, absolutely nothing new. There's nothing new in the Word of God. But let's just come before the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing upon what will be said today. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again we give Thee thanks for the preciousness of this time. We thank Thee, Father, that we can open up Thy Holy words, we can read it, meditate upon it. And Father, we do pray that we might leave this place rejoicing in the knowledge of sins forgiven. We do pray, Lord, that you take your servant and hide him behind the cross. Let no man be seen save Jesus only. And we'll be careful to give thee the praise, the honor, and the glory in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. Folks, may I start off by saying that we are living in the last days. Amen? We're living in the last days. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it is the Laodicean age when, as the Bible puts it, the church will be lukewarm. And as we look around today, we have no trouble whatsoever in saying that. Churches that used to be on fire for the Lord have allowed themselves to go downhill spiritually speaking and there are reasons for that others have been sidetracked and no longer put the emphasis on what they ought to put the emphasis on some churches preach a social gospel some are liberal some have no emphasis on doctrine other churches who have joined together have done away with doctrine. No blood, no repentance, no new birth. Others put a lot of time into reformation, election, at the expense of being born again and accepting Christ. Others have put an emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, miracles, and liberal, ungodly music while others are nothing less than rock and roll gatherings. There's a hodgepodge out there, folks. There really is. And what I'm saying today is, are you not glad that you belong to a conservative, fundamental church in these days? I am. I'm glad. And folks, I'm saying all this because we must take heed. We are not above going down the same track. We must take heed not to go down the same road. Uh, whenever I entered into the ministry, and I'm sure Pastor Gavin would uh, uh, confirm this, when I entered into the pastorate uh, 35 years ago or so, there was about 19 churches that we fellowshiped with. We used to have pastoral fellowships. Uh, about 19, maybe 20 churches, pastors, would attend those. Now we would find it difficult to fellowship with seven or more. And I'm just talking local area, Victoria, southern New South Wales. And so we need to be biblically sound and consistent, otherwise we will fail as well. Today I want us to focus on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to look at Mary Magdalene 
and her part at the sepulchre as the first person to see the risen Lord. Let me say this, that there is a great danger in the church today of emphasizing one aspect of Christian truth at the expense of another equally important truth. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm going to say in this next paragraph, okay? I don't want you to go outside here and say that I said the death of Christ was not important. Listen carefully. While too much can never be made of the death of Christ, you can never make too much of the death of Christ. Sometimes too little is made of our Lord's resurrection. It seems that the truth, uh, this truth anyhow, is mainly preached at Easter time. Just like the truth of his birth is preached at Christmas time. And this ought not to be so. And that's not a criticism for this church. We are very consistent in this church. And Vicky and I have appreciated our time here thus far. That's why we became members. I'm almost one of you. Okay? That's good. Good. Listen, folks, in these days, I believe we need to reinforce, reaffirm, redeclare, and reiterate the great doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. It is important in these days. Now, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm enjoying the Sunday school lessons, Troy, and I've told Troy that. And uh, it's great that we can go through uh, church history and what the early saints went through. And this is some of the things we'll be looking at today as well. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4, it says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Here we see plainly stated that he died according to the scriptures. Troy was saying, well, they didn't have the, old, the, the New Testament scriptures. So what scriptures are we talking about? We're talking about the Old Testament scriptures. Old Testament. Praise God for the complete canon of God's word. The Old Testament, which Paul referred to, is teaching us that Christ rose from the dead. And that he spent three days and three nights in death. Romans 4.25 says, Who was delivered for our transgressions and was raised again for our justification. The Lord rose again. Folks, without the resurrection, the death of Christ would lose its significance. It would just be all about a man dying on the cross. Without the resurrection, 
without the Lord being risen from the dead, the death and the shed blood, reverently speaking, would lose its significance. Please look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 through 18. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. If Christ not risen, what I'm speaking is vanity. I may as well go home and watch the gobblebox, if that's the case. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Boy, hard to accept. Hard to accept that people would even preach that Christ is not risen. But here in this passage, it is plainly taught that Christ is risen from the dead. And if he was not risen from the dead, there would be no gospel. There would be no faith. There would be no salvation. Our preaching would be vain. And folks, you would all, along with me, still be in our sins. The resurrection is essential to where we stand and what we believe. Folks, we serve our risen Savior. All those other cults and isms in the world today are worshipping wooden trees. They're worshipping golden idols. They're worshipping people who have died and who have disintegrated in the grave hundreds of years ago. But we serve our risen Savior. He's in the world today, and we'll be singing about that. Now, to be an apostle, one must be a witness of the resurrection. Please turn back to Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 22 says, Beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Then in Acts chapter 4 and 33 it says, And with great power give the apostles witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see that emphasis is put on the resurrection. It's put on the resurrection. And folks, as the scripture says, there are plenty of Old Testament uh, proofs of that and t types of that and pictures of that. There are many types of the resurrection in the Old Testament. Now, some are very plain. Others are more obscure. And obviously, we haven't got time to go into them all today. But let me just make mention of a couple. Isaac was a great type of the resurrection. Because Paul declares it in Hebrews eleven nineteen, Jonah was a great type of the resurrection, being three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. 
Joseph was a great type of the resurrection, being in prison and coming forth with the out the prison clothes. He got shaved and he got changed before he went before the king. And when our Lord rose from the dead, I want you to notice something. There's plenty of proofs in the Old Testament. But I want you to notice this. When our Lord rose from the dead, no human eye actually saw the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I could be wrong here, <laughs> I've been known to be wrong before. 1968, I think it was. <laughs> it is possible that no human being actually saw the death of our Lord because there was a thick blanket of darkness around the cross. Read Matthew 27, 45, Luke 23, 44, Mark chapter 15, 33. There was blackness from midday till three in the afternoon, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. And when they came to examine him, he was dead already. They didn't know that he had died. So it's possible they didn't see him die. But we know that he uh, made several signs from the cross. Of course, one of the greatest is, it is finished. The work of redemption, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament types, the Jonah that went for three days and three nights in the grave, said it's finished now. Finished now. But I want to say this. And if nobody saw him rise from the dead, and if nobody saw him die on the cross, we praise God that the eye of faith has seen him die. And the eye of faith beholds him alive. There's something else I want to highlight to you as a matter of interest as we go through this. And yeah, the ladies are going to have to excuse me here. I'm not down on the ladies. But it's no woman, if you read the law, no woman under the Mosaic law, under Moses' law, was allowed to be a witness. She was never called to court. Never allowed to witness about anything. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll just continue reading after the first, verses, first four verses we read. Verse 5, it says... And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also as the one born out of due time. No woman on her own was allowed to be a witness. And all the witnesses there, apart from the 500 brethren, and there may have been some women among that, the Lord's resurrection is a great subject. And the woman Mary, Mary Magdalene, is a wonderful person. Now for just a few moments, I want us to look at some of the things of Mary under three headings. First, you will look at the word quest because 
It starts off with Mary's quest. Mary's quest was her desire, if you like. So we'll look at the word quest. Then we'll look at the word request. Because in this chapter there are three requests. Mary's request, the angel's request, and the Lord's request. And the third word is bequest. The Lord gave to Mary certain things. The Lord bequested, if you like, to Mary. Okay, let's look at Mary's quest. First of all, let me say that John's gospel, to a point, is the gospel of the individual conversations. Read through John's gospel and you'll see how often the Lord speaks to individuals. It's the individual conversations. In chapter 1, you will find the conversation between the Lord and Peter, verse 42. In chapter 1, the Lord and Nathaniel, verse 45. In chapter 1, the Lord and Philip, verse 43. In chapter 3, the Lord and Nicodemus. In chapter 4, the Lord and the woman at the well. John's gospel is filled with individual conversations. In saying that, Mary did not go to the sepulchre alone. She went in company. But the company are not mentioned in John. Why? Because John's gospel is the gospel of the individual, you see. She came with others. Read the other gospel narratives. They will tell you. But when she saw the empty tomb, she ran back to tell the disciples. And when she came back again, the other women had gone. So for a time, she was there on her own. I want to look at this quest. First of all, it was a courageous quest. Just to highlight some facts, folks. She went back in the dark to see the tomb. There were soldiers posted at the tomb. Oh, we haven't got time to go into all the details of this. To be a believer or a disciple was dangerous in those days. She would have almost for sure heard the angel, heard the great earthquake when the angel came down and rolled away the great stone. And so it was a courageous quest. Here is this lone woman, courageous enough to make this quest. And do you know what the scripture says about what she was doing? She was going to see the tomb. She was going to see the place of death. It was a courageous quest. It was a zealous quest. And folks, if you want to meet with the Lord, it's good to get up early and spend time in prayer. Mary got up early, and we'll look at that in just a few moments. But Proverbs 8 verse 17 says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. 
Thy, we know that this primarily is speaking about those that seek me early in life shall find me. But it has a dual meaning. If you get up early in the morning and you seek fellowship, praise God for fellowship, Troy. If you have fellowship with the Lord in the morning, then it's a beautiful time spent with the Lord. So it has this dual meaning. Early in life, early in the morning, Mary Magdalene loved her Lord and she sought him early. It was a zealous quest. Besides a courageous quest and a zealous quest, it was a loving quest. If you read the Gospels, you will find that Mary was one of the last to see him entombed. Now, we haven't got time to go into all these scriptures, but Luke 23, 55, Mark 27, 56, Matthew 27, 59 to 61, Mark chapter 15, verses 47. All speak of Mary at the tomb. She was at the cross. Then she went to the tomb. Then Mary went back again, very early in the morning. And as I thought about this, I just thought, well, Mary, you've been at the cross. Mary, you've been at the tomb, the embalming, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, and you were at the tomb. Did you get any sleep that night at all? She got up early in the morning, before the sunrise. It was towards the dawning of the day. She just could not wait for the sun to come up. And the scriptures record for eternity. Oh, that I might go and look on the place where they have laid my Lord. The hymn writer got it right, didn't he, when he put it this way? We've just sung it. Let me like Mary through the gloom come with a gift for thee. Show me now the empty tomb. Lead me to Calvary. And so it was a courageous quest. It was a zealous quest. It was a loving quest. Now we look at the requests. You know, Mary was weeping at the empty tomb. She was weeping at the empty tomb. <laughs> when really, she should have been rejoicing. The tomb was empty. Christ had rose from the dead. He told his disciples this, and they didn't understand. But it should have twigged two and two make four. The Lord said, I'm going to rise from the dead. And she goes, and the tomb is empty. She was weeping when she should have been rejoicing. Folks, we need to learn this lesson, that the Lord does all things well. And just like Mary... We as believers often weep and are disappointed when we should be rejoicing. Sometimes he takes us through rough waters. We need to rejoice. Sometimes he allows us to have uh, bereavements in our family. And in a sense, we can rejoice. We need to be careful that we do not do the wrong thing in relation to weeping or being saddened when we should be rejoicing. There are three requests we look at very briefly. The first request is Mary's request. Please turn to John chapter 20 again. John chapter 20. And we just look at verses 11 and 12. 
John chapter 20, verse 11 and 12. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping, and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Here is an interesting situation. Mary was weeping. She was looking into the tomb and she sees angels sitting. We'll get to Mary's request in a minute. She sees two angels sitting, which is unusual because angels normally stand. To my knowledge, there are only three angels in Scripture that sat and that were found sitting. And they are all here at the resurrection. Now there were angels as men and so forth in the Old Testament, Abraham's time, Lot's time and so forth. But let's look at the first one who was sitting. Matthew 28. We'll come back into John in a few minutes. Matthew 28 verses 2 to 8. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, whom was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. The stone that the angel rolled away became a pulpit. And he preached the resurrection of Christ. It was a message of testimony and triumph. Folks, this is the gospel message. Christ died. He was buried and that he rose again from the dead. And Mary went into the tomb and she saw the two angels sitting. One at the feet and one at the head where Jesus had lain. And folks... In between these two angels sitting were the grave clothes, a sign of death. But he was not there. He had rose from the dead. And folks, this scene is an answer to a wonderful type in the Old Testament where we have the angels at the mercy seat, one at the one end, one at the other. And in between, the sign of death, the blood which was applied for the atonement of the people. So Mary saw the angels sitting. Then she saw the grave clothes. And lastly, she sees 
the Lord. Please turn back to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and in verse 15, we have Mary's request. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. At first, Mary thought it was the gardener. But her eyes were filled with her tears. She could not see clearly. So folks, again, we need to be careful in weeping when we should be rejoicing. Because it may dull our spiritual sight. She could not see the Lord. We, must see, we may not see the Lord clearly. But as soon as he said, Mary, she knew, and her eyes were opened. A little bit more about that later. So Mary's request is, where have you led him? The second request is in John chapter 20 and verse 13, going back a couple of verses. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have led him. So the second request is the angel's request. Woman, why? Why weepest thou? It's empty. He rose from the dead. He's not here. Why weepest thou? And she turned and said, Because they have taken away the Lord. Is that right? Because they have taken away the Lord. Is that right? No, 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 no. Because they have taken away my Lord. There's a difference. They have taken away my Lord. Oh, the agony and the disappointment and the sorrow she must have been feeling at that time. She says, he is my Lord. King David says, he is my shepherd. The bride and son of Solomon says, he is my beloved and I am his. Paul says, he loved me and gave himself for me. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. All these saints had a personal relationship with their Lord. My Lord, my shepherd, my beloved, my Lord and my God. Those can we really say? He is my Lord. Have you made it personal today? Have you had a personal experience, if you like, I don't like using that word, with the Lord? Have you sat down before the Lord and expressed your regret, your sorrow, your repentance in relation to your sin? Have you accepted him as your own personal saviour? Can you say that he is your Lord? If not, well, there are plenty of people here today that will be very happy to sit down with you and go through the scriptures and show you how you can have a very personal relationship with the Lord. So we have Mary's request. We have the angel's request. Then we have the Lord's request. 
Now, the Lord just follows on from where the angel left off. He just goes a little bit further. Look at John uh, 20 and verse 15. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? That's what the angel asked. Then the Lord says, Whom seekest thou? So he just goes a little bit further. Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And again, as I thought about this, I just wonder if the Lord would have had a, a little bit of a smile on his face. He's in the garden and Mary's weeping and he knows that Mary, he knows that Mary was looking for him. He knows that Mary was seeking him. He knows why Mary was crying. And he was just maybe his back to her. Or maybe even facing her. Her eyes were full of tears. She could not recognize the Lord. Even when he spoke to her the first time. Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? He had already spoken to her. And he did not recognize the voice. He knew why she was weeping. He knew whom she was seeking. And folks, how many times have we been in the Lord's garden, as it were? It did not recognize his dealings with us. Did not recognize him speaking to us, as it were. Whenever that trial came, whenever that testing came, whenever that tribulation came upon us and we did not see God's hand in it. How often have we blamed our situation on others when the Lord is teaching us some precious lessons? Let me say this. The smoothest stones comes from the roughest streams. Sometimes the Lord allows us to go through the trials and the tribulations and all the rest of it so that he might conform us to the image of his own dear son. She supposed him to be the gardener. She was weeping. She was sad. She was sorrowful. Then she hears a familiar voice saying her name. Mary. And sometimes when I think of that situation, it just about brings me to tears. Woman, why weepest thou? Woman, who, who are you seeking for? Mary. I've got three children. And our children try to mimic my accent when I'm calling my wife. Vicky. But Vicky always knows the real thing, right? How you doing, Vicky? They can't mimic my accent. And all I'm saying is sometimes when you speak a person's name, they know exactly who it is. And the Lord spoke, and the Lord questioned her, and it wasn't until he mentioned her name that she knew right away it was Mary who was lovingly seeking their Lord she was lovingly seeking after him and I need to ask the question what are you seeking after in these days 
Following on from that thought, this brings us to our third point, which is the bequest. What did our Lord give to Mary? What did he bequest her? Well, was it riches? No. Was it power? No. The first thing that the Lord gave to Mary was recognition. He said unto her, Mary, Mary, I know you. You know, folks, when he calls his sheep, he calls them by name. John chapter 10 and verse 3, And my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Folks, it's a wonderful thing when the Lord knows your name. Mary may not have been able to see very clearly at that time, but she was close enough and sensitive enough to hear his voice. John chapter 20 and verse 16 says, Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. So there was recognition. He called her by name. Now the question is again, does the Lord know you by name as one of his sheep? Or are you still outside of the fold? Questions you need to ask yourself. The second bequest or the second thing that was given to her was the assurance of a new relationship. Mary, as at other times, wanted to touch the Lord. But in John 20, 17, we read, Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. Folks, what I see here is, no longer was it the earthly Jesus that was going to comfort her, but the heavenly, the ascended, the resurrected Lord of heaven and earth. And folks, that goes for every believer because we have a great high priest who is our mediator, who is our advocate, and who is our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Please turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Hebrews chapter 4, and verses 14 to 16. Got a few little verses to go through here. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a great high priest. Now, we're not going to turn to all these, but Psalm 110 verse 4 speaks about Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 6. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 all speak about Melchizedek. But I do want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 13. Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 13. That's just before Malachi, by the way. Okay, Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 13. I will read verse 12 and 13. 
and speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and she shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest unto his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. That is the king and the priest. Those two offices were never combined. It was against the law in the Old Testament for the king to go in before the Lord, and we know about Uzziah, what happened to him. Then there is a third bequest. John chapter 20, verse 17 says this. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended unto my Father, but go to my brethren. Say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, unto my God and to your God. And here we have a new partnership. Right away the Lord says, Touch me not. There's a very touching phrase, phrase that comes right after it. Go tell my brethren. Folks, up until here, the Lord called them his disciples. And I said, go tell my brethren. It's a new partnership. Praise God that because of the resurrection, we have a new standing in Christ. We are brethren. Not the exclusive brethren. Not, not the Plymouth brethren although some of them will be there too. But we are brethren, sons of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Amen? We're sons of God. Can we understand that? Can we understand the depths? Can we plumb the depths of what it means to be a son of God? That we are brethren, we are joint heirs with Christ? Folks, in finishing, let me look at Mary and her witness. Mary went back to the disciples and told them all of this wonderful news. But she was not believed. Luke 24, verse 10 11 says this, the abridged version, the DMCC version. Told these things unto the apostles, and they believed them not. This is the apostles. This is the 11 men that were close to the Lord. This is the 11 that were taught in the scriptures about the resurrection of Christ. And even when it happened, even when there was an eyewitness, as it were, to the empty tomb, they did not believe. Incredible. And yet, folks, today we tell the world the same. We tell them the same thing, that Jesus has risen from the dead. He is alive and he's coming back again. But they do not believe. And they don't seem to care. Now folks, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Do we care for the souls of others? May each one at this time, may their eyes be opened, not just here, 
but those that we come in contact with day after day. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we give thee thanks for the opportunity of opening up thy word. We thank you for these simple thoughts as we go through the uh, resurrection and looking at Mary and so forth. And I pray, Lord, that we might be uplifted in our most holy faith and drawn close to yourself. When I pray, you be with us as we close. In our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen.